Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 231 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. Ruben Lerner. Hi, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Jonathan couldn't make it this week, but we are going to be talking about some changes coming to the show. It's a very special episode. That's right. uh, The Freelancer Show. (laughs) And we're also going to be talking about, in my opinion anyway, I just wanted to talk about when to move on from a good thing. So... The changes to the show is that I'm actually leaving the show, and I know that's going to surprise a few people because I'm on almost all of the shows on devchat.tv, and so they just kind of expect me to be here, and I had some hard conversations with some folks who have my best interest at heart, and I realized that I could do a lot more good things for people if I had a little more time, and so I actually quit two shows. So uh, this is my last week on this show, unless I come back as a guest, which I may do. And the other show that I'm doing the same thing on is the iFreak show, which is the iOS development show that uh, we put on every week. And uh, yeah, I've already talked to Ruben and Philip and Jonathan about it, but I thought it'd be interesting just to dig into, yeah, when, when do you look at something that you're enjoying that, you know, generally is, you know, a good thing in your week and decide, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to quit that for other things other maybe more important or more profitable or more personal payoff kind of things i'm I'm curious have you guys had to make a decision like this before that you can think of off the top of your head yes many times i you know i'll run down the list of like in the last i guess it's going to be in the last yeah probably a year some of the things that you're kind of reminding me of in, in talking about your coming to this decision for yourself. So I had a service for a while called my content Sherpa, which was done for you content marketing in a delivered in a very standardized format, kind of similar to something that ultimately uh, like it was kind of a competing service that turned out to be much better, which is called audience ops. And I wound that down, even though that was, you know, had potential, was making money, was, you know, was making enough money at certain points, not every point. That's one thing. Another thing that was very similar was called Drip Sherpa, which was a, again, you know, done for you service focusing on helping people set up their Drip account, you know, Drip email automation. And I mean, those two things come to mind. There have actually been so many things that I've wound down because uh, I guess reasons we can sort of get into and talk about in more detail that I actually have created a a page on my website called slash retired. And I have now probably a half dozen things that redirect to that page because even if something's working, there's, there's sort of, there's a cost to it. I've found just, I mean, there's this kind of idea, this dream of passive income, right? Like you set something up and it makes money and, and you don't have to do anything with it. But I, that's never been the case for me. Nothing's ever been like passive to the point that I can just ignore it, like truly ignore it. It it, it kind of occupies space in my mind, and so I, I've really embraced the idea that as as you know, to everything there is a time and a season, and at some point, you, something is not going to be worth the time or the energy or the the mental headspace that it takes to keep it up. So anyway, not to make this into a big monologue, but yeah, I've I've definitely wound stuff down. When I know that at some point that's that's the thing I need to do. What about you, Ruben? I have not done that so much, much to my detriment. 
like I'm very bad at stopping doing things. I'm very bad at noticing that it's not productive, not profitable, not useful. Perhaps the closest thing I've done to that I can think of is um, I was running for over a year this thing called Daily Tech Video. And this was like an experiment that I tried running where um, every day, as the name implies, I would put up a new video on this blog that I thought was really cool and interesting that I found at various technical conferences. Now, the motivation was several fold. The motivation was I could maybe make some money off of advertising and I could learn a ton. And the answer is I learned a ton. (laughs) And I had so few viewers on this thing that when I had to decide between, am I gonna move ahead on the regular expression book or am I gonna work on daily tech video? I said, you know what, I'm just gonna work on the regular expressions book. And so it's now officially on hiatus and I would love to get back to it, but I have reached the conclusion that I think most humans do at some point earlier than I did, which is time is finite and you actually can't do everything you want to do. And it's good to make choices and say no about things. And this was very, very hard for me to like realize and, and, and deal with because for so long, I've just sort of ignored that reality. I've just said, well, I'll sleep less. Well, I'll do more. Well, all, all sorts of things which are maybe not healthy. And this was the first time when I, I, I made a decision and I walked away or largely walked away and it actually felt a little painful first and then felt good. So I haven't done it much, but it gives me the sense that I should do it more. You know, before we uh, hit hit the record button, Chuck Mm. was telling us a little bit uh, about the fact that this is a, by many measures, an incredibly successful show. So Chuck, I'm kind of curious, how did did it feel to walk away? I mean, not walk away, that's kind of the wrong term, but, you know, reduce your involvement in something that's, it's not not working, it is working, right? Yeah, yeah, it's totally working. It's, It's kind of funny too, because... So just to back up a little bit, in July, I went to Podcast Movement in Chicago and rubbed shoulders with a whole bunch of other podcasters. And some of the podcasters are from NPR and places like that. And so, you know, we start talking and they're like, well, you know, how big are your shows? And I give them numbers and they're like, yeah, that's pretty good, you know, because they have hundreds of thousands of listeners because they essentially pick people up who can't catch their show on the radio every day, but can pick it up on a podcast app somewhere. And so, you know, since they're widely syndicated anyway, they tend to get a lot of listeners. And then I talk to kind of the run of the mill podcaster, even if they're successful podcasters. And uh, yeah, some of them are getting hundreds of thousands of downloads and some of them are getting hundreds of downloads. And the rule is hundreds, not hundreds of thousands. I mean, if you're getting a thousand, you're doing great. And this show gets about 4,000 downloads every episode. And so, you know, that puts us within probably the top 10% of podcasts out there on the internet. And so, yeah, by that measure, we're succeeding. We're being successful. You know, we have a longtime sponsor in Hire.com, and uh, they pretty close to cover the costs of the show. You know, so we're basically breaking even money-wise as far as what I spend to have it produced versus, you know, what I'm bringing in with the sponsors. And that, again, is also kind of a big deal because a lot of people wind up, you know, they either edit it themselves, which costs them an hour or so every week, depending on how long their show is, or they pay some other service to do it. And you can wind up for an hour-long show paying anywhere from $50 to $200. And, and I've seen price ranges for all of that, depending on, you know, whether they're writing your show notes or posting it for you or doing transcripts or doing video editing or things like that. And so... 
the fact that the show was self-sustaining or close to it's also a big thing. And so, yeah, so it, it overall it's a successful show. And the only thing it's really costing me, if you're looking at it just from that basis, is the time I spend getting on. But the other thing is, is that I get stuff out of talking to Philip and Jonathan and Reuven every week, even though I'm not out there chasing clients anymore. And so that's also a win. And so it's it's like, look, you know, I for for me, it's a net positive. It's a net gain to be on the show. And so it's okay then why would I quit? You know, why, why, if this is a success, if this is a net positive for me and it's a net positive for the audience and it's a net positive for you guys to come on the show, you know, why would I bow out? And ultimately there, there's a little bit more perspective to this that I think will help people understand why I'm making the decision I'm making. The first thing is, is that I, I do this for several reasons. Ultimately now I am actually living off of podcast sponsorships that kind of happened by accident, but ultimately it got to the point where I didn't have time to do consulting and podcasting with the five shows. So I picked and I picked podcasting and, you know, things have just kind of worked out nicely that way for me. And uh, at this point, I'm not making a ton of money, but I'm making enough to pay all the bills. And there were a couple of sort of slow or bare spots this year where things got a little bit tight, but, uh, Anyway, you know, I, I I think some people think you're either making it large or you're not making it at all, and I'm somewhere in the middle. So anyway, the other reason I do it, though, and the reason why I picked podcasts in the first place is, A, I really like talking to the co-hosts that I have on the shows, and the other reason is, is because I feel like I'm making a difference out there in the world of programming, or in this the case of this show, the world of freelancing. There are a lot of programmers that I go to conferences and they, you know, they tell me that it's made a difference. I've met a lot of people that have come up and basically said, I listened to your episode on blah, 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 and it helped me get a, a better job or even transition from construction. I had one person say he was working construction sites. He was making about $20,000 a year. He started listening to JavaScript Jabber and then... A year later, he had taught himself to code, went and applied for a job, and got a raise from $20,000 a year doing construction to $50,000 a year as a junior developer. And, wow. you know, just story, I, I mean, this story after story after story after story, you know, I'm having this impact on people's lives. And it's like, okay, uh, you know, if you want to talk about an emotional payoff, you know, have somebody come up and basically tell you that they can afford to send their kid to a nice school you know, or something like that because they listen to your show. And so it's it's that kind of impact that I want to have. And so earlier this month, I hired Jamie Masters, who is the host of the Eventual Millionaire podcast, because I felt like things were kind of on the brink of being able to either take off and grow like crazy or, you know, they were going to stagnate. And I, I wanted to make sure that I was heading in the right direction and I was having the impact that I wanted to have. So I hired her to help me out. And so we started talking about what I was doing. And basically when we talked about the different shows, JavaScript Jabber gets somewhere in the ballpark of 27,000 downloads per episode. Adventures in Angular gets about 11 to 12,000 downloads per episode. And Ruby Rogues is right around 10,000. It was around 14,000 pre panel dust up, but there, yeah, anyway, there's been some uncertainty from people as to whether it was going to continue and some people were just plain pissed off because they'd heard things on the internet. And so that listenership went down. So those three shows have double or more, in the case of Adventures in Angular and JavaScript Jabber, triple or more 
the listenership of the iFreak show or the freelancer show, both of which get about 4,000 downloads per episode. And so I was talking to her and I realized that I could have a much higher impact by essentially producing a second episode of JavaScript Jabber and Adventures in Angular than I could in the freelancer show. And also when I'm doing my programming in my spare time or working on my own projects, I'm typically doing it in Ruby, JavaScript, and Angular. I'm not freelancing anymore, and I really don't do mobile development. And so it made a lot of sense for me to bow out and maybe have somebody with more relevant, more timely experience for those two shows to come in and take my place as a panelist, and I could have the impact just by enabling the show to continue. So I could, you know, do all the production stuff. So all the all of the hosts of those shows have to do is essentially show up, record, and get the podcast recording to somebody to edit it and post it. And I have all those systems set up and in place. I have systems set up for people to recommend guests. I have systems set up for, you know, the show prep and scheduling and all that stuff. And so when it comes right down to it, I feel like I can still continue to have that impact by, like I said, enabling these shows to continue. And then I can go and I can make a bigger impact by producing episodes for these shows that have a higher listener count. I'll also point out that if I do a second episode of JavaScript Jabber, that also opens up more spots for sponsorships, and that allows me to then expand the network in other ways and invest more in making the shows better. And so all in all, there there's just this win-win-win for me to free up time, even though I'm freeing up time by dropping a couple of things that are actually working and good things, if that makes sense. You know, when, when I worked, uh, my, my first job out, uh, my first college was at uh, HP, HP Medical, which I don't think exists anymore. It was sort of sold off in parts. And um, while I was there, they bought a huge magnet and like uh, hired away, I don't know, a dozen or so people from other companies. And the, the basically the talk was that HP was going to go into the cardio uh, MRI business. And it was this whole long story and saga and everything. In any event, then a few months later, they laid everyone off and they said the project was canceled. And I asked someone, at that point I was like 22 years old, didn't quite understand how these things worked. And I asked, why did this happen? And they said, oh, well, it was going to be a successful business, but it wasn't going to be successful fast enough. And at that point mm. I thought, oh my God, this is like stupid. This is crazy. Who would make such business decisions? But it's actually, it was it's like this insight that has stuck with me, obviously to this day, where it do, it's not necessarily a matter of walking away from something that's bad. It's a matter of walking towards something that could be better. And that, that sounds like what, what you're doing. And so, I, I mean, obviously, I'll miss having the conversation with you each week, but I can't really blame you for reaching such a conclusion, you know, when, when it's, it's based on very good business ideas and personal satisfaction. Well, and it's funny, too, to me, because it's easy when it's like, I just can't take any more of this, Right. And so you get to the point where you're going to quit because you just can't take any more. It's a completely different conversation with yourself when it's, yeah, but this is a good thing and it's working. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've, I've seen both sides of that. And you're absolutely right. It's like when something becomes intolerable, it's the easiest decision in the world to walk away from it. But since I've started working three days a week, I've seen the other side of that, which is there's some things that they have value, they're good things to do, but they're literally not worth the time to do them. And if you stop doing them, what you give up is less than what you gain by not doing them. 
like I think that's a conceptually that's a weird thing for a for someone who's used to billing hourly. I mean, not that everything needs to touch back to the world of the freelancer here, but um, that that certainly does because that was like the mindset I had was you know that hourly mindset is like okay every hour is equal to every other hour because you get paid the same for it. So you don't really think of things in terms of the inherent value of the thing you're doing. You think of it in terms of the time it takes to do it. And I think that makes it difficult to think in the terms you're thinking in, Chuck, where you're thinking about impact and scale and and leverage, really, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so, I mean, for me, working three days a week was, I mean, honestly, it was it was kind of a way to stave off burnout because when I was getting my business going, I, I worked six or seven days a week for like two years. And I know other people have it worse. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying I, I worked a lot. and. So at some point, it just became necessary to kind of turn down the volume and focus on the things that, that were working really well. And since doing that, my income has not gone down. But what has gone down is my stress level. <laughs> and what's gone up is my clarity about exactly what I'm doing and what I'm trying to accomplish. And it, was, it really was kind of a mindset shift to realize that I can get the right things done if I just have three days a week. But I can't do everything that I want to and, and not everything that I want to is equally valuable. Yep. Well, the other thing that plays into this is where do I want to wind up? And I went to a retreat in Evans mill, Tennessee. It's out by Smithville, Smithfield, something. Anyway, it's about an hour East of Nashville. And it was for one of my mastermind groups. We just went out there and, you know, had some time together, but we were also coming as we were going to be in 2020. And so just seeing the, okay, where do I want to be? And, you know, what, what's the impact that I want to have? It really drove home to me that, you know, this was the right decision, you know, because I do want a little bit more time margin in my life. Um, my son has ADHD. He has a, he has it pretty severely and has some behavioral issues that eventually led to us pulling him out of the charter school and putting him in an online school so that we can just work with him at home. You know, he'll have a teacher that he watches lessons online with, and then my wife and I will work with him. And so, you know, it's, it's that kind of margin as well. It's like, okay, how can I get more of that margin? And it's, well, if I quit these shows and I change the way I do some of these other things, then, you know, I'll admit some of that extra sponsorship money is going to go into my pocket so I can spend time working with my son so that he can deal with some of these life situations. And then it's, you know, what other impacts do I want to have? And, and I do want to be reaching more people and having that kind of impact that I talked about a minute ago. And so it's all of these things and it's okay. Well, I don't have time for everything that I like doing and everything that I feel like I need to do to get where I want to go. And so a lot of this came out of that as well. Chuck, did you think about, I mean, this is something I've thought about. I'm curious if you thought about it too. At some point I reached, I reached the point where I was like feeling too spread thin and realizing that my effectiveness at the things that I was beginning to think really mattered to my business, my effectiveness at those things was diminishing because I was spread too thin. Did, did you have that kind of feeling too? Like you could be more effective or more present or do a better job of something if you did less things overall? Yeah, there's definitely that. The way I'm trying to solve that is actually to hire somebody. And 
again, you know, if, if I have a little bit more money in sponsorships, then I can afford to hire somebody, which is something right. that I wasn't sure I could do before. And so, you know, all of this plays back into that, that same thing, you know, where it's, yeah, it's where do I need the margin? Where do I need to be focused? Do I really need to be doing this or should I be trying to do this other thing instead? And yeah, there, there's a lot of email that I answer. There's a lot of Twitter stuff that goes on that I answer. There are different, you know, kind of nitty gritty things I deal with with the website and stuff like that. And all of that takes away from the focus of making the shows as impactful and relevant as I can. And I've, I've felt that especially with the podcast where I have five shows to prep for every week and I honestly don't have a lot of time to do that. And so if I can get somebody to pull some of the stuff off of my plate, then I can do that. And I can also, as you said, have a little bit more margin where, you know, maybe I'm getting some downtime so that I'm fresh for the shows or maybe I'm getting some downtime. So I have so I'm in the right mental space to solve some of the problems involved in the podcasts or the conferences or whatever else. And, you know, just by getting that space, it really allows me to operate at full capacity. You know, I, I, Chuck, I, I find it somewhat ironic and not, not in a bad way that this decision or set of decisions you're making regarding both the podcast you're involved in and how you're involved in them sounds, and the whole process sounds very similar to what we tell people to do on the show, which is you can't just think of your freelancing career as something fun to do. You need to treat it as a business. And I think what goes unsaid very often when we say that is that means making unpleasant decisions sometimes, right? Making a business decision means you're going to do things and it's going to be a trade-off. And yep. it might mean doing something that's good for your money, good for your family, good for yourself. But it's like all, you know, it's like we learn in engineering school. Or I learned engineering school, which is there's a trade-off for everything. And so, you know, here you are demonstrating what we preach every week. By abandoning us? No, 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 no. We really. <laughs> no, yeah, it's but really, it's really uh, true. I, I totally understand it. It's funny because I talk to new freelancers and they get in and they start struggling, and then they figure out, oh, I need to spend more time marketing, and so all of a sudden they spend half of their time doing businessy stuff and the other half of their time coding. And yeah, I mean, it's the same argument. It's just you know, would you rather be coding? Oh heck yeah! But if you want to pay the bills, you got to go do the marketing stuff too. And, right. and this is the same kind of thing, right? Do I just want to chat with you guys all day? Yeah. But, you know, there are other things that I need to be doing so that I can succeed in the areas that I want to succeed in. Right. That makes, makes sense. Let me ask you this. What would you have done differently with the show? Meaning, what should we do? <laughs> and, and if we ignore it, like, you won't be around to, uh, to tell us. No, I mean... So one of the things that I would like to do better on the shows and wish I could have done better in the past with the shows is just that ahead of time prep. So, for example, sometimes we show up to the show and it's like, oh, what are we talking about? And we pull off a great show because we all have experience and things to draw upon to talk about whatever the topic is. But at the same time, I kind of wish that we, you know, and, and I tried to pull this together, but again, I didn't have time for all of it. I really wish that I had been able to say, okay, next week we're talking about um, whatever the topic is. And then, you know, so we sat down, maybe collaborated in Skype or Slack or on a Google Doc or something. And then when the time came for the episode, it was, oh, okay, we're prepped. We know what we're talking about. We know what the flow is going to be. 
and we can just jump in and maybe deliver an even better episode. So it's just things like that that I just never quite got a process around that I wish I had. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I were prepared for anything I do. So <laughs> Yeah. But the other thing is, is I, I also, and this is something I'm working on now, is just, you know, outside of the show, finding out what people need. Like as far as a cohesive product or a cohesive thing, so it could be an ebook or a video course or something like that where, you know, maybe the one hour a week format isn't the best for that. And even if we broke it up and talked about it for an hour every week for, you know, two months and covered all of the topics and everything else, it would still be a, a easier to digest and would solve people's problems better in those ways, you know, by just having some big cohesive thing. You know, I, I wish I had treated some of those better, you know, and I'm working on that now. And yeah, they're going to be paid products, but ultimately it's, you know, it's, hey, look, this is the best way I have to solve this for you. And, you know, and so I'm, I'm doing an exchange of value with you regarding how that all works. And I, I wish I had done that a little bit more. I don't know if this, if this show and this audience, you know, I'm sure there are problems that we could solve and questions that we could answer that way. And I think to a certain extent, like, with Philip's book, you know, the positioning manual or with Jonathan's book where hourling billing is nuts. We've addressed some of those issues and, you know, I just wish I had teased out a few more of those and been able to directly address some of those things. Chuck, I'm curious how the online conferences fit into your, your sort of new vision or, or how you're doing things. So uh, that's, that's one of the other areas of focus that I'm going to be pulling together Ultimately, with those, I'm working on standard operating procedures for those right now because most of the work is reaching out to people to market it, reaching out to potential speakers to speak at it, and then getting it all scheduled and getting all the content on the website. And as you can probably guess, besides having the contact information for a lot of the people that I want to speak, I don't have to be involved. I can have somebody else email them. I can have somebody else get them scheduled on the calendar. I can have somebody else do all of the data entry in the website. And so because of that, I'm, I'm working that out right now so that it's it's a product that I produce. It's something that I will host for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. But at the same time, it's not something that I have to be deeply involved in. And yeah, it's another area where I am essentially ducking out of the day-to-day -day work and having somebody else handle that for me so that I can do a lot of this other work. And I found that if I can get the speakers lined up well in advance and I can get people talking about it on various podcasts and other forms of media, that uh, th those can be very successful both for attendees, speakers, and for me in as far as my time and investment there. Because the attendees get to collaborate with each other. They get to know the speakers you know, and so it's a lot of the same payoff that we're talking about with the podcasts, except there's a little bit more interaction there as people ask questions or as we have I'm, I'm on the conferences this year, I'm actually going to be putting on an online sort of roundtable discussion event. So it's like, hey, bring your dinner, sit down on, on a Google Hangout and we'll just talk shop for an hour, you know, and things like that, where, again, you know, people get that payoff. It's just semi in person virtual. And that's that's kind of what I'm envisioning for those conferences. But yeah, they're going to be kind of a, a key part of this moving forward as far as sort of connecting with the people who are listening to the shows and making sure that we're providing what they need. Nice. You know, one, one of the things I've noticed about how people change 
is there's usually for most people they can sort of see the change that they need to make they can kind of picture it maybe in their mind or they they just grasp it right they understand mm-hmm. but there's this time of like fighting it like no i don't want to no that's you know uncomfortable or weird or i don't know if it's going to work <laughs> i'm curious if you had that happen as you you know went through the journey to this point can you can you uh, say that again sorry <laughs> yeah, totally. So I, I find that, it, like, you know, I help people change. That's really mm-hmm. one way you could describe what I do for a living. And I see that a lot of people, they're not ready to change right away. They they see what they need to do. They know it. They know, okay, I need to make this change to my business. But they're not really ready to take action at the same moment that they recognize that they need that change. And I'm curious if if you saw that in yourself. Like if there was a little bit of resistance to making this change for a while, even though you were clear that you needed to do it. Yeah, I think there was. I mean, until Jamie kind of pointed it out, I had thought it a couple of times, but I was never ready to pull the trigger on it. And it took somebody with kind of a position of, okay, you're an expert. You you know, you're you're looking at this objectively. And, you know, she explained it to me and, and, you know, we talked through the reasons that I've talked through on the show. And it was like, yeah, this is obviously the right step forward. Okay. I was going to ask what, what gave you what you needed to take action. It sounds like a somewhat objective third party perspective yeah. helped. Any, anything else that kind of helped push you over the edge? I, I think it was kind of a culmination of a lot of different things, but that was the main one. The, you know, the retreat and talking about where I wanted to be in 2020 and um, just having conversations with a few other folks, you know, that that all kind of helped solidify that as the course of action I wanted to take. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that was ultimately the catalyst that kind of pulled everything together and said, yeah, this is the stuff you need to take. Mm-hmm. You know, circling back to something you said earlier, you said there there have been some bare spots where things were kind of tight. and. I've seen that myself too. <laughs> like I've take, I haven't done any client work since uh, basically August of this year. And I, I made that change as soon as it was humanly feasible, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the change of taking a break from client work. And the result is like some months it, it has been a little tight, but you know, I'm really committed to trying to develop this part of my business that I'm focused on right now, which is the training and education part. So I'm, I'm curious what kind of got you through those, those tight spots. Well, part of it was that I knew that the money or, you know, whatever, I knew that it was coming. And so it was just a matter of waiting it out or, you know, working with the people who were going to pay or whatever to pay me a little bit early. So, uh, you know, I worked things out with Hired.com and I gave them a little bit of a discount if they paid me up front, you know, a month in advance or something because I hit a bare spot in August. And, uh, you know, I hit another bit of a bare spot in October, but that was mostly just timing, right? I, I had the invoices out. I knew the sponsorship money was coming. It was really just a matter of when it was going to show up. And so, you know, I followed up with the sponsors that were going to be paying. Um, you know, I worked on some of the other things, talked to some of my friends. I have a few other ideas now if I had another slow period as to what I can do to get that money to come in. But yeah, I mean, ultimately it, was, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. And so it was, okay, well, here's what we're going to do to kind of tighten our belts and hang in there for a week until the money shows up. That's so valuable <laughs> to, to develop 
those sort of, uh, they're almost like SOPs yeah. <laughs> for, for running a different kind of business, you know, because I, I certainly had thin spots when I was doing client work, but there was always this feeling like, well, I just, I can hustle a little bit more or, you know, try to find something else. And it, it just changes when you change your business model. Those ways of making it through the, the lean times really do change. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. Sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. The best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, you get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. You mentioned, Chuck, that uh, so one of the, the one of the changes you're going to make is you're going to be hiring someone. Are, are you worried about that? Because like, that's, that's very different than running a business just by yourself. I mean, I know you've had people working for you in the past, but it sounds like this would be a different sort of hire. Um, I'm basically looking for somebody who would have a very similar relationship with me that Mandy had. So mm-hmm. I have a pretty good idea of what it would look like minus the podcast editing that she was doing. And then just, yeah, just pull somebody in part-time who can pick up a lot of this slack and execute, you know, standard operating procedures and maybe manage a few other remote workers, depending on what kind of work and, and what's involved. So, yeah, so I have an idea. I know, I'm working on the job description right now, and I'll probably get it listed here within the next week. And then I'm just going to take my time and make sure that I make the right hire. Because, yeah, I've hired people before, and it didn't work out. You know, I've hired people before and had it work out for a while and then had it not work out. And I'm just going to go slow and make sure that I get the person that I need. That seems very wise. Well, the thing is, is that if I bring somebody in, let's say I list it next week and I hire the first person I bring in, and they don't work out. I'm not going to know that for two or three weeks. And by then I could have had, you know, the right person come in and pick up the work and be that much further ahead. And so, yeah, I I feel like even though I kind of desperately need somebody to jump in and help me out with some of this stuff, it's just, it's not worth screwing it up. So we'll, we'll ease them into it. And then eventually they'll kind of take over the full gamut of what I need done. So do you see DevChat TV growing to uh, even more, you know, more number and more variety of podcasts? That's where I'd like to go. And I feel like if I can bring in the experts on those technologies, because there are a lot of other programming technologies that people want shows on. I've been asked for a Python podcast. I've been asked for a React podcast. I've been asked for an Elixir podcast. I've been asked for an Elm podcast. You know, I'm not opposed to any of those, but I don't have expertise there either. And so I don't see those as shows that I would start and get involved with myself. And so, yeah, React Native Radio 
has been running for a year or so on the devchat.tv network. And I'm probably looking, you know, the arrangements for Freelancer Show and iFreaks, having spoken with you and having spoken with the other hosts on iFreaks, looks like the arrangements are going to be pretty close to what React Native Radio has. Yeah, so if I can bring in other shows and kind of provide them with process and production and things like that that are kind of hard to solve unless you know how to solve them, then I feel like I can add to the programming world and add to the content out there without actually have, having to be directly involved and having any expertise in those technologies. And so, yeah, I'd like to go that way. I'm still figuring out what that looks like and how to make sure, because I, I want high quality shows on the network, you know, just figure out how that all kind of shakes out, but we'll see. Would you recommend, knowing now all that you know about podcasting, that people who are interested in doing it, do it? I mean, I know, I know you enjoy it. I know you recommend it sort of for fun and for marketing purposes, but is it a good business for people to get into also? It's still pretty hard unless you have a large audience to make a living as a podcaster. Most of the people I know who are making a living at podcasting are making a living because it's their marketing channel and they're selling other products on the side. I know people with, you know, a thousand person audience or, you know, a seven, eight hundred person audience who will go out and sell products, you know, higher end products, you know, five hundred thousand, two thousand dollar products. And that's how they make their living. And so they, they have enough people who are interested in what they have to offer that go out and actually will invest in their products. But that, yeah, they're selling them that way. It's it's not the sponsorships. And I'd, I'd kind of like to move in that direction a bit myself. The conferences definitely count to me as products. But, you know, I'd like to get some other video courses and stuff out there. And that way I'm helping people in all the ways that I can. But it also moves things away from, well, what what if there's some kind of economic disaster and my sponsors can't sponsor anymore? But at the same time, my customers can still buy video courses or attend conferences. You know, I, I just I like the idea of having that kind of spread out so that I'm not wholly dependent on any one or any set of companies. Right. I'm not going anywhere. If anyone wants to email me, they can just email me, Chuck at devchat.tv, and I'm on Twitter and stuff. I check Twitter about once every week or two. I'm really not big on, on Twitter or Facebook for that matter. But um, You check Twitter once a week? I had this impression you were on Twitter all the time. <clears throat> Yeah, I have this program that's called uh, Meet Edgar, and it posts for me every day. I mean, I, I don't see your tweets. I mean, I, I'm not on Twitter that much either. I just was under the impression you used it a lot, so there you go. I use it to contact people. I use it to reply to people. I post stuff to Twitter on occasion when I think it's funny, like if I take a picture that I think is interesting or something. But anything else you want to talk about, though, before we go to pics? Not offhand, although, I mean... If we'll do the eulogizing mode. So, I mean, I, I just really super enjoyed having you on the show. I mean, uh, I know each of us has our own motivations for doing the show. And mine is completely and utterly self-centered, which is I really enjoy having a conversation with you guys, like both while we're recording for everyone and before and after the recording happens. For me, it's like one of the high points of my week. And the fact that I get to have a conversation with uh, all of you on the panel and, you know, get advice and suggestions and just sort of think about my business has been a, a gift. And uh, so now, now that gift will be one third smaller. And I really appreciated all, all the suggestions and ideas and uh, stimulating conversations we've had, Chuck. And I expect this will not be the end, but maybe end on a weekly basis. Now I'm blushing. Can you hear me blushing? <laughs> 
Put your face closer to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the red light is on on my microphone. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. I feel like we've, we're sort of losing our anchor, but, um, and I'm just doing a Google for a Google search for how you do a three-way rock, paper, scissors contest to see <laughs> who's, uh, who's, who's going to have to pick up the slack here. We'll figure it out, but yeah, kind of the end of, feels like the end of an era or maybe a transition to something different, but equally good. Yeah, well, and that's what I'm hoping is that you guys will make the show your own. And, you know, I, I know you can do it and I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just not going to show up and record every week. So true, true. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Ruben, do you have some picks for us? Yes. So last week, actually, after we recorded, I mentioned, uh, so I'm, I'm currently in uh, Belgium, in a city called Kortrijk. Kortrijk, Kortrijk. My, my Belgian accent is terrible. And so I mentioned uh, that I was looking to sort of speak with some new companies and I wasn't quite sure how to approach them. And uh, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago, right after the show, Philip and Jonathan basically simultaneously said, oh, you must read this book, Selling to Big Companies. So I said, okay, fine, you know, I got the book. And um, reading the book actually was horrifying because she listed all of the things I had done wrong in reaching out to companies. She said, so you want to reach out to a big company? And this is probably the sort of email you sent. I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, how did she know? So it has been a somewhat painful but very, very enlightening book. And I'm, I'm hoping and planning to use a lot of the uh, information from it to try to expand my marketing. I mean, basically, the luxury I have is right now I have a lot of work coming in. So this is a totally new set of skills for me to learn. And um, as often happens when you're learning new skills, you learn it the hard way, and you have bumps along the way, and you do things that are horribly embarrassing. So um, I'm prepared to get a little more embarrassed, but I, I think it'll be worthwhile in the medium to long term. So uh, I definitely recommend the book, and I appreciate the recommendation from uh, Jonathan Phillip. Awesome. Philip, what are your picks? Yeah, I just got to second that book. So recently I came across this show on PBS called Sound Breaking, and it is fantastic if you're curious about music, if you're a music fan, if, like me, you uh, had some interest in how music is recorded or made. It's just great, I think, for all those things. So it's it's an eight-part documentary series. Talks about, well, the, the first, I don't know, three or four episodes talk about how, how music's made and the evolution and just, uh, man, the footage and the still images that they have in this documentary are just great. I mean, I guess it depends on your music taste. There's not much time spent on stuff like uh, classical music. It, it's really talking about the rise of uh, popular music you know, starting from uh, the 40s or 50s and onward. Anyway, Sound Breaking, it's a PBS show. You can stream it online, uh, at least here in the States, for free. And it's fantastic. I'll recommend two other things. One is this episode of This American Life, which I uh, asked Chuck earlier if he'd heard and, and hasn't. It's not really the same kind of thing that Chuck's doing, but the topic of the episode is quitting. And I think it's this, actually the seventh episode that, that they ever did. So it's a very early on episode in that show. So if you just search for This American Life and the word quitting, it has some fantastic stories, interviews with people who reach that point. It's more about stuff that wasn't working and the sort of exhilaration that comes when you walk away from something that's not working. So that's why I say it's not really the same kind of thing Chuck was talking about here, but it's just a fantastic episode of that show that I, I think I'd recommend everybody listen, listen to because 
I think knowing when to quit is, it's like a seriously valuable skill for people to develop. And, and some things you, I think you do need to quit and walk away from, even though it's not easy to do that. And then I'll point people to the page on my website, finally, that, um, that I use when I retire something. And the kind of things I've retired are lines of service, ideas for services, landing pages that kind of outlive their usefulness. Like I, I've retired a fair bit of stuff from my website just to keep myself sane, really. And uh, people might be interested in seeing the page that I use because it's basically a big giant email list opt-in page. And um, anyway, those are my picks for this week. Awesome. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. The first one is I got this poster. I don't know if I picked it before or not, but Jamie sent it to me. And it's uh, it says seize the year at the top. And it's a 2017 calendar poster. And it is whiteboard marker friendly. And so uh, anyway, it's on the closet door behind me and it's it's huge, but it's really cool. And uh, so I'm going to be planning out basically, you know, what next year looks like. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited for some of the opportunities there. So anyway, you can get it at New Year. That's N-E-U year dot com, I think. I'll make sure that there's a link in the show notes, but it's pretty cool. And so if you're if you're looking for kind of a planning device like that, then definitely do that. And then uh, the other pick I have, I a while back I got my wife an Amazon Echo just because I'd heard a lot about them. And she uses it all the time. She tells it to play music. You can tell it to set a timer, and that works really great when you're putting kids on timeout. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's it's just really, you know, it's like, hey, set a timer for whatever. And then it says timer set for whatever. But the other thing I've been finding is that the the Amazon Echo actually will connect to IFTTT. And I use Zapier for all my stuff, but I couldn't find Amazon stuff on Zapier. So now I get to use both. But you can do home automation and all kinds of other stuff with the Amazon Echo and IFTTT. So I'm starting to dig into that and see what the capabilities there are. So uh, anyway, I got the Amazon Dot, Echo Dot. And it's a much smaller version. It's got a speaker in it and, you know, does everything that the big Echo does. And I'm, I'm really liking it. So I have one on my desk in my office now. And I'm going to set the other two up in the master bedroom, master bathroom. And that way my wife can just tell it to play music in the bathroom or whatever. And make Do, do they connect to each other? No. Like if you have multiple ones in the house. So they're just independent stuff. Yeah, but you can install skills for it. And then it does all mm-hmm. kinds of other stuff. One of the skills is a seven-minute workout, so you can tell it to give you a seven-minute workout. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, if you're feeling like you've been sitting around all day recording podcasts and you need to move, then, yeah, it's it's a terrific way to go. So I, I really like it. Super handy. They're not terribly expensive. And, uh, yeah, so I'm really tempted now to, like, buy a Nest thermometer so that I can tell it through IFTTT to turn the temperature up or down or something. But anyway so yeah so that's the stuff well i don't think there's anything else so i'll go ahead and uh i I guess i won't be catching you all next week but uh yeah looking forward to what jonathan and philip and reuven and whoever else they bring on the show come up with in the future bandwidth for this segment is provided by cashfly the world's fastest cdn deliver your content fast with cashfly visit c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y.com to learn more